Hey Life Canton, Roger here. So glad that you're here. I'm one of the directors at Life Canton and I'm so glad whether you're a returning listener or a brand new listener that you chose to listen to us today. If you are a brand new listener, I just want to remind you that one of the things we truly believe and, and seek to embody here at Life Canton is the idea that you belong. You belong to God, so you belong to this community. And we want to get you plugged in. So be sure to fill out a Connect card via the Church Center app or our website so that we can get to know who you are and help you do that. Also, if you are a returning or a brand new listener, I want to remind you that God is up to so much in this community. His mission is what we're all about here. And if you want to support that mission, please feel free and take the opportunity to support that mission financially via giving. Uh, You can do that on our Church Center app or, again, on our website. But either way, I'm welcoming you to week two of our Cross Equals Love series. We do this one every year. Uh, Today, you're actually going to hear a message from myself, and I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the experiences that the suffering servant went through and what they teach us about God. So give that a listen, and I'll catch up with you in just a minute. How's everybody doing? Oh, good. Okay. It's better than I expected. <laughs> Feeling pretty good. Uh, my name is Roger. I'm one of the directors here at Life Can, and I'm so excited to speak to you today to bring the word that I have to, to speak today. Uh, often when I do a message or a sermon for students or adults, I often find myself in this place where I have the words that God has given me, the words that the Holy Spirit has placed in my mouth, and I don't know what he's going to do. And that's an exciting place to be in. But as I drove in this morning, I realized that's not where I am today. Uh, Today, I thought of faces and stories and conversations I've had for the past couple months, and I realized that I know who this message is for. It's for everyone, but I know that, that some of you are going through something, and some of you have been going through something for a long time, and I think that today, God has a special word just for you. So I'm so excited to share that with you. Uh, But if you're just joining us and you weren't here last week, I want to remind you that we're in our Cross Equals Love series. We do this series every year where we talk uh, about the cross as a symbol of God's love and we learn from it. And and this year, we're going to spend time in Isaiah 53 talking about this figure of the suffering servant. And Jared kicked us off last week by talking about our, our view, our perception of Jesus and challenging that a little bit. So if you didn't get a chance, go back and listen to that. You can always catch it on our podcast. It was a really good message. Uh, but I want to start today by sharing a little bit about myself. Uh, something you may not know from looking at me, because I look very well behaved, um, very mild mannered. Uh, I was not the best behaved child. I wasn't the worst, but I wasn't the best. Uh, and the thing that I got into trouble for more than anything else was breaking things. Uh, anybody else? No, just me. Okay, cool. So there's only one clumsy person in the room. Good, <laughs> Good thing I'm on the stage. Uh, but I constantly was getting in trouble uh, for breaking things. It actually it got to the point where I felt like I could be in the room with my mom. She would hear something break, and then she would look at me. I'd be like, I'm right here. It can't possibly be me. <laughs> but a little part of it would be like, maybe Roger broke something. Uh, one I remember really vividly, and I, I don't know why, but my mom had this, uh, this glass vase, like a tall glass vase. Uh, it was on like this metal stand, and it was full of rocks. And she put it in the garage. And I think that's kind of on her, but <laughs> she put it in there, and, and within a very short amount of time, I was on my bike, not paying attention, backed up, smashed it over, glass, rocks everywhere. And I remember that sound, and I remember the moment of like, can I spin this? Or can I, like, pick up the glass and the rocks fast enough? I could not. I couldn't. Uh, she came real quick, and I was just there with the glass and the rocks. 
Um, and it, it became a pattern for me, honestly, just constantly. At another time where I broke a garage door, it's fine, it doesn't matter. Uh, but it became a pattern, a pattern of me breaking things. Um, and unfortunately, in uh, their frustration, my family also began a pattern of responding to me in a specific way when something was broken. Often when I wasn't thinking straight or hadn't thought through a situation all the way, I would ask this question, uh, and that was, what is wrong with you? And it became a pattern of breaking things and getting asked, what, what is wrong with you? Um, and I began to actually internalize that. Uh, well into my adult years, I started to think about this question. Um, and I started to believe that there was some truth to the question. I remember experiencing a lot of different emotions because of that question and because of what I began to believe about myself. But there's three that I want to talk about specifically. Uh, and those three are uh, feeling invisible, uh, feeling rejected, and feeling crushed. I remember feeling invisible. I remember feeling that no one understood why I did the things I did or why I thought the way that I did. Like there was something so odd or so strange about my behavior that it couldn't possibly be fathomed by those around me. I remember being in rooms of family and friends and thinking no one really knows who I am, and if they knew, they wouldn't like what they found. I also remember uh, feeling rejected. I remember uh, connecting rejection to this idea that there was something wrong with me. Uh, I would have a, a rift or, or a tear in a relationship, and my first thought would be, well, it must be because of something I did. It must be because there's a deficiency in me, and, and this carried well into adulthood. Um, even now, when there is a, uh, a moment in a friendship or, or a relationship with a family member where something's not going right, I, I have these invasive thoughts of, well, it's because you did this, or you did that, or you behaved this way or that way. And I also remember feeling crushed by this question, this question of what is wrong with you. I remember moments where uh, my life wasn't going great, <laughs> moments where it seemed like it was just full of anxiety and, and just overwhelming situations. And in, in those moments, um, again, I would return to those words about something being wrong with me. And I'd think, well, the primary reason I'm in this situation is just because I did something wrong. And sometimes I did, but it became almost my identity um, that I couldn't see past the idea that the only reason that things were that bad was because something was wrong with me. And I would even get to the point where I wouldn't bother to try and fix a situation because why, why try if it wasn't something I could change? Now, as I talk about those emotions, I wonder if some of you uh, have words or phrases like that in your life that were spoken over you and maybe made you feel some of these emotions, experience some of these things. I actually would argue that these are Emotions and experiences that are really common to the human experience. That at some point or another, we all feel one of these things. And these feelings are intense. And they can stick with us for a really, really long time. Maybe some of us have been in seasons where the only emotions and experiences we remember are one of these things. And we just couldn't move out of it. But I want to ask you a really important question, church. How does this affect your view of God? Have you been in those moments where you're feeling these emotions and these experiences, and have you begun to ask questions about who God is because of feeling like this? For me, the question I asked a lot was, does God see something wrong with me? 
But there's other questions that we can ask. Has, have you ever asked one of these, uh, am I invisible to God? Does he not see me? Have you ever asked, am I rejected by God? Has he discarded me? Has he given up on me? Or have you ever asked the question, am I crushed by God? Is this some sort of punishment for my action or situation I'm in because of a way God feels about me? And these questions aren't new. Like I said, they're part of the human experience. And Scripture has a lot to say about these questions and and the experiences attached to them. And I want to focus today how about on how the the suffering servant experienced those three things in scripture so we're going to be in isaiah 53 we're going to start in verse 2 if you have a bible go ahead open it on your phone or in person Uh, you can also follow along on the teaching screen and if you need a bible please let us know Um, i I want you to be able to to dwell on the things that we talk about uh, today for your whole week so let us know if you need one Um, we're going to be going pretty much verse by verse today because I think each verse is going to teach us something new, uh, something amazing about the suffering servant. So let's start in verse two, where it says, Isaiah, the prophet says this to Israel, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence, like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. So Isaiah starts by talking about how the suffering servant is unattractive. Uh, And he uses this two-way. The the first is pretty obvious. It says that there's nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. So he was not physically attractive. But I want to focus on the other way that he's using it. So he finishes by saying uh, there's nothing to attract us to him. Now the Greek word here, it's more about uh, being unattractive or, or being unchosen or desired in terms of relationships rather than romantically. So this, this verse is saying that the suffering servant will not be popular, will not be chosen, will not be followed or desired. Another way to say this is that the suffering servant will be invisible. He will be unseen and ignored. Have you ever felt that way? Invisible, unseen, ignored, unchosen. Have you ever had that moment in middle school or high school where it's the teacher calls for a, uh, a team game and picks captains and then begins to go down the line and choosing students? And have you ever felt that anxiety that you're going to be picked last? Or have you ever been in a, in a classroom and, and the teacher announces that we're going to do a group project now, so find a partner, and you have that fear that no one's going to want to partner with you? Or maybe as an adult, you've been in a room and you've thought, I'm surrounded by friends and family and I'm completely alone. These are the kinds of experiences that the suffering servant went through. And I want to talk about Israel for a second. In the time of Isaiah, uh, when he was first giving them this prophecy, things were going really well for Israel. Uh, They had power. They had status, they had wealth, they had success. And that was really hard to come by in that time. But then this prophet Isaiah shows up and he starts talking about how things are going to change drastically for Israel. How they're going to lose all of that power and that success and that influence and that wealth. And fast forward to the time of the New Testament and things have changed really drastically. 
Israel no longer has a king. They don't have military power. They don't have success. They went from being God's chosen people with status and wealth to an oppressed people group ruled by the Roman Empire. They went from a place of privilege and status to a place of invisibility. And I want you to imagine them looking back at these verses hundreds of years later and reading them. For a people who felt ignored, unseen by their God, do you think that maybe this verse changed something? Because Isaiah told them that, that someone was coming who would be invisible. Isaiah said that someone important, some kind of servant of God who was coming, and that that person would know what it meant to, to be invisible, to feel unchosen, to feel unseen, to be unheard. And some, some Jewish people believed that this servant was going to be their Messiah, their Savior, the one to rescue them. Can you imagine them reading this verse in their time of oppression? how it might have changed their view of a God who didn't see them. That's not all all Isaiah taught about the servant. We're going to move on to verse 3, where he has more to say about the servant. Uh, Now Isaiah says this. He says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. So now Isaiah says that the suffering servant is going to be rejected and despised. And there's a difference between being ignored and being rejected, isn't there? Being ignored feels passive. It can almost feel accidental. But being rejected feels really intentional. It feels malicious on purpose. Think about your family. Being ignored by a family member feels a lot different than being rejected by a family member. And being rejected probably hurts a lot more. And this text also tells us that because of his rejection, the servant experienced uh, the deepest grief. And it says that he is acquainted with it, which means this wasn't a one-time occurrence, but this was a state that the servant lived in again and again, that he struggled with, constantly felt rejected. I think we have a code on our wall that speaks to the experience of the servant so far, and I think it's you belong. I think what Isaiah is is describing is a person who doesn't feel like they belong. A person who doesn't feel like they have a people or a home. As human beings, we were all created to be in community, in the garden, when we have perfection, when we have everything the way that it was supposed to be. We were in community, not just with each other, but with God. We walked with him daily. We were built to be in community. And when we aren't in community, we begin to experience things. We begin to feel sorrow. We begin to feel grief. We begin to feel anxiety. And maybe we even begin to feel feelings of insufficiency or wrongness. We don't do well when we're completely disconnected from community, when we're rejected from all of that. Again, think about Israel. When Isaiah first gave this prophecy, they were a people at the time who understood themselves to be God's chosen people, and they had all of the blessings to prove it, right? They had a king, and they had uh, military success, and they had power, and they had uh, a, a land, 
All of these things that prove to them, yes, we are God's chosen people because he has blessed us. But by, again, by the time of the New Testament, that had changed drastically. This was probably harder for them to believe because all of their blessings were gone. They didn't have a king. They didn't have power. They didn't even have a land. And part of God's promises to them, his special relationship with them, included giving them a special place to call home. But by the time of the New Testament, the Roman Empire owned their land, told them where they could live and how they could live on it, uh, taxed them heavily, uh, inflicted violence on them. It's hard to feel like you belong when you don't even feel like you own your home. And again, this is where Israel is at as they look back on these words of the prophet. But Isaiah told them that someone was coming who was rejected. Again, think about how that felt for them. They're in this place where they probably feel abandoned, maybe discarded by God. And they had this promise that God was going to send someone, not just anyone, but a servant who will understand exactly where they're at and what they're going through, who had also been rejected. Do you think that this changed their view of God as someone who had cast them aside? Began to challenge those ideas. There's one more thing about the servant that I want us to look at. Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Isaiah says this to Israel. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. These verses show the kind of crushing that the the servant would experience. And there's kind of two sides of it. There's, there's a physical side of it, right? He was pierced and beaten and whipped and crushed. And I want you to think about those kinds of injuries on the human body. Do you think those are injuries that uh, went away the next morning? That he drank a, drank a protein shake and rolled out of bed and was like, I'm good now. No, those were probably injuries that stayed, that lasted, that left wounds and scars. And some of you know the pain that comes from having a body maybe for days or weeks or months or years that doesn't function the way that you think it's supposed to. The pain and the frustration of trying to build back up your body's ability to do things. Some of you know the deep anguish and the pain of of that being your whole life. Of that being something the only way you understand your body, the only way that you've experienced it, of living with those kinds of injuries for years and years and years. And some of you maybe have had those injuries in the past, and those injuries are gone, but you have this scar, the scar that won't go away, the scar that you have to look at, the scar that reminds you of all those times of grief and anguish and pain. The servant experienced injuries like that on his body. But this wasn't the only kind of crushing that Isaiah was talking about because there's physical crushing, but then there's emotional crushing. Oppression is crushing. Living under the rule of someone or something else is crushing. Living under constant feelings of anxiety or fear or anger is crushing. It crushes your soul. The verse talks about the servant being weighed down for our sorrows. In, the, in verse 4, 
The weight of anxiety and sorrow is crushing. And some of you know that. So again, Isaiah has this promise for the Israel people that someone is coming who would be crushed. And he knew what they were about to go through. He knew that Israel, back in the time of the Old Testament, as he was giving them these prophecies, was about to enter hundreds of years of oppression. The oppression of being told where you can live, what you can do, how you can live, taxation, violence. That's all a form of crushing. And Isaiah knew that this is what Israel was about to go through. And I think that this would be a really hard pill to swallow. Last week, Jared talked about this idea that not all of Israel, not all of the Jewish people believe that the suffering servant is the Messiah, the one who's going to rescue them. And I think a large part of it has to do with this verse. Because how could this verse bring them hope? The suffering servant feeling rejected and and feeling uh, invisible is one thing. That, That is someone who understands what they're going through. But someone who's going to be crushed, who's going to be pierced and beaten, and broken, how, how could that person possibly, possibly rescue them? And then I think this is the sticking point for much of Israel. And the, the other thing that the, the, the Isaiah says is that people will think that the servant is being punished. Go ahead and bring up verse 5 for me again. He, that people are going to think that he was going to be punished by God out of anger, out of, out of something he did wrong as a punishment for his sins. But then Israel tells them the reason why the servant is being punished. And look what it is for our rebellion, for our sins, so we could be made whole, so we could be healed. He tells them that the servant is invisible, rejected, and crushed for them. He tells them that everything that the servant is going to experience is for the sake of their healing. That it will be on their behalf. That somehow his suffering, all of this pain, all of these injuries will lead to their their healing. And that doesn't make sense. Not just to Israel, but that doesn't make sense to us. How could someone else suffering make us feel whole? And for hundreds of years... The Israelites lived with this this idea that someone is coming who will suffer and somehow their suffering will lead them to experience healing. And then he finally shows up. Look at 1 John 4, 8-10. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The suffering servant is Jesus Christ, the son of God, who was sent by his father to be invisible, to be rejected, to be crushed for our sake. So that we can experience a relationship with our Heavenly Father again. So that all of the pain and all of the brokenness and all of the things that get in the way of us and God can be removed by His death on a cross. Why? Because He loved us. And I've been really careful about not saying the name Jesus until now. And I did that for a reason. 
I think sometimes when we think about God's love, we have this picture of, of a bearded man in the clouds who looks down on us and loves us. But according to John, that's not even the beginning of God's love. God loves us so much that he stepped into our experience. He stepped into invisibility and rejection and crushing because he loved us. He stepped onto the cross, not because he had to, but because that's where his love for us took him. The cross is the greatest symbol of love in human history. And God's love looked like stepping down into our experience in the form of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about the form that Jesus stepped into. Jesus is God. He could have been anyone. He could have been uh, a Roman. He could have been uh, a religious leader with status. Uh, He could have been a king. But instead, he chose to step down as an oppressed Jewish person. Israel cried out to their God and said, where are you? And have you left us? And he said, no. And he stepped right next to them into their experience and to what they were suffering through. And think about the, the, the people that Jesus spent time with. In the Gospels, we see him healing who? The invisible, those who felt rejected, those who felt crushed. That's who he spent his time with. That's who he healed, who he wept with, who he lived with, who he sat beside and shared a meal with. So what does this teach us? about God, to go back to my earlier question. What it teaches us is that God is with the invisible. He is with the rejected, and he is with the crushed. And I want to share a perspective of of how learning this truth changed my understanding of who God was. Uh, for a long time, I had that view of, of God as someone who loved from afar, who loved from a distance. And a lot of that I tied to my own understanding of myself. I thought God is loving me from a distance because there's something wrong with me, so he couldn't possibly be close. But then I spent time learning about Jesus. And not just learning about him in terms of knowledge, but understanding why he came and what he did, and why he did it the way that he did it. And what I realized is that I was right in some regard. God that did step close to me because there was something wrong with me. That because I felt invisible, and I felt rejected, and I felt crushed, God stepped even closer to me. So it was because of my brokenness, but not to step away from me, but to step next to me. I realized that according to the cross, God's love doesn't look like viewing the suffering of others from afar. He didn't just see our pain, he lived through it. We say this sometimes, that we have a God who understands what we're going through, and it's not knowledge-based. It's not this pithy thing. We have a God who understands what we're going through because he did it. Because he experienced it. Because he was invisible and rejected and crushed just like us. So when God, when scripture talks about God being the God of comfort, it's not from afar. It's, it's a God who has stepped into your experience. Who is there with you. And church, this is what I want for you. I don't share these stories so that you can feel connected or close to me. I share these stories about myself so that you can see a God who is with you. 
a God who has stepped next to you, a God who has lived through whatever you're going through. I want you to, to know this God, this God who understands you. And if you're feeling invisible or rejected or crushed, I want you to know that God is especially here for you in that moment. He's closer than he's ever going to be. And, and students, I think for some of you, this might be difficult um, because these are experiences, the ones that make you feel invisible, rejected, and crushed that you're going through right now. As I was talking about uh, my story and about this servant, you might have had a memory that happened to you yesterday. And I know in those moments, it's so hard to feel like God is close and so easy to feel like he's so, so far away. But one of the reasons that I felt called to youth ministry is because I remember being that student. I remember 10 years of living like that. 10 years of of knowing God and believing God and following God, but believing that I was doing all of that from a distance. And my desire is that you would know that now, that you wouldn't wait 10 years to discover this God, to discover how he loves you, to discover how close he is to you. I want you to know that now. And he went to a cross to prove that to you. Adults, I wonder if some of you are numb. I looked out and as I talked about this, I saw some of you weeping. And I wonder if you've been so numb to your invisibility, to your rejection, to your crushing for so long, and you haven't even thought about how close God is in years. And I wonder if, as I talked, it brought up emotions and and experience for you that were painful, that hurt, that made you weep. I would encourage you in this moment not to turn away from them, but to lean into them. To take a moment to remember and to experience that invisibility, that rejection, that crushing, because that's where God is. My, my prayer for you as we enter into a time of worship is that you would find God. Find God in the words, find God in the community around you, but, but see him as a real presence that is here with you right now. That has not abandoned or forsaken you, but has experienced everything that you've experienced. So that when he says that he cares about you and he understands you, you know it. And we're going to sing a song together in just a moment. And when I was preparing my sermon, it was kind of funny. I was like, there's only, there's only one song. <laughs> there's only one song that I can think about for us to sing together. Uh, and it's a, it's a song called So Close. And it talks about uh, the closeness of God. But there's this, this line in the song that I have been thinking over for months, ever since it came out. And this line is that God is the safest place for suffering. And I'm going to ask if you believe that, church. Do you believe that the only place to go, the safest place to go, the one true sanctuary in your life when you're feeling suffering, when you're feeling rejection and crushing and invisibility is into the arms of God? Maybe you did and you've forgotten because life has squeezed that out of you. But I want us to take a moment. We will worship together where we remember that or discover it for the first time. I'm going to ask that if you just sit if you need to sit, you stand if you need to stand, you get on your knees, you weep if you need to, but let this be a moment where you see God right next to you and you come to him in your suffering. 
Let's worship together. great winds blew in the rocks to loose but I couldn't find you anywhere you're the God who saves in the earthquake came but I couldn't find you anywhere then with the wind you came gently reminding me to never be afraid heaven's closer than it's ever been I can feel your soul comes so so Feels like my world is caving in. Oh God, I need you so close, so so close. You can turn this cave to a holy place. You
got big and scary and dangerous and painful and you forgot for just a moment then that's okay that's why we're here the spirit is calling us to community and remembrance so i want to remind you that god is close but then there's some of you that didn't know you could call on god you didn't know he would come running you didn't know that he knew your pain you didn't know that he was weeping for you and hanging on a cross to get close to you and for those of you I want to say welcome. You have come face to face with God. A God who is not far away, but who is close, who is the safest place to go in suffering. And today is going to begin your journey, your journey of running to him again and again, not just once, not just tomorrow, not just next week, but for the rest of your life. And every time you do that, he's going to be there. Every time. So let me pray for you. Let me pray for you as you start this relationship and this journey of running into the arms of God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how big your arms are. Thank you for your son. Thank you for experiencing what we have been through emotionally and physically. Thank you for being the one person the one person who everybody else can abandon us, can reject us, can ignore us, can crush us, but you are there every time. Not just your face, but your hands and your arms and your heart. Thank you for being a God who surrounds us, who lifts us up, who holds us close. And God, for those of us in the room who just learned this today, I ask that you would be visible to them in a special way. That in the weeks and days and months ahead, that as they feel crushed by life, that they would run to you and that you would be there. That they would feel your presence. That they would feel your arms closing around them and that that you would become a place of safety, maybe the first place of safety that they've ever had in their entire lives. But a place of safety that cannot be taken away, that cannot be crushed, that cannot be removed. God, thank you for who you are. Be with us this week.
Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that message. And I also want to remind you that if you're someone who is struggling with one of those emotions or experiences right now, feeling invisible or rejected or crushed, I want to remind you that you're not alone. Not only do you have a God who loves you and sees you, but you also have a community who wants to support you. So please let us know if you need prayer or or anything else via that Connect card. But I want to encourage you this week to be on the lookout for moments to see God face to face, not as someone who's far above you, but as someone who's right next with you in those experiences, feeling your pain and desperately wanting to love you and encourage you and support you in the midst of that. So have a blessed week and I will talk to you again real soon.